welcome back to the music made me episode two here we go we're on a roll we're making this happen today we have mr dan davidson former rock star turned canadian country musician today he talks about the entire journey from university into rock band to pelo honey and into his country career some famous friends along the way josh ramsey dallas smith brett kissel we have it all. We hope you enjoy episode two, Mr. Dan Davidson. So what's shaking, Brendan? Oh, not too much. It's been a, a, a long time reunion in the making, hey? Yeah, crazy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I'm sure you don't remember. Um, it's been many, many moons. Yeah, I, was, <laughs> I, don't, like, I don't know if you saw on social media, I found a ticket um, from one of the shows. And, but it doesn't, oh, really? it doesn't have a date on it so i'm not sure i'm th- i'm thinking it had to be like right around like oh six now is it tupelo or tupelo i always tupelo yeah i always get yeah. that mixed up in my mind i always want to say tupelo but tupelo it was the all-time worst band name decision well, where did it come from ever because isn't it like southern honey or something uh yeah well like so we were in a a contest when the band first started we we were just we didn't we were just trying to get it off the ground and we had like three songs and we entered in this contest uh like a band contest or whatever to win i think it was like recording time or something and uh we didn't have a name and so our singer at the time he put in his dad's favorite song name which was tupelo honey by van morrison right yeah and and i was like oh god i hate that name but we used it and then we won the stupid contest. And then from that contest, we got booked at stage 13, which is like the big Valley jamboree of rock and roll back then. And, uh, and our first show was for 5,000 people. Oh, <laughs> it was, so you had to keep it then. Yeah, actually it was a funny story about that is we got off stage and this guy was in the crowd uh, and he was like, Hey, I book for the, the beer garden stage at stage 13. You guys want to come do a set opening for i don't know it was vince neal or something like that and we're like whoa crazy our first show sounds great but we only had three songs so we had two weeks to write 45 minutes worth of material and play it live and we pulled it off somehow so it was really kind of crazy yeah. oh wow that is nuts and we'll also get into it later but like your crossover from rock to country you know in country music that really can't happen i i don't think because from what i've heard country music is much more intense a writing process than than the rock music yeah it's a different it's a different animal for sure like you know I've, i do a lot of co-writing and, and rock and stuff too but at the time like as a new band we were just trying to figure out what our sound was and we didn't even know what co-writing really was we know right. that as a band we made music together but I, I didn't I didn't learn about co-writing until we started traveling to Toronto lots. Uh, it was actually, strangely enough, another band competition. So we won one in Edmonton that was like the Alberta-wide one. And so they sent us to Toronto for the finals. This is probably in 2006 or five. And uh, we won the national one. And there was a guy in the crowd uh, named Jeff Dalziel who worked for Sony Music at the time. And he was like, hey, do you guys want, like, I'm a producer. Do you want to come out to the Sony building and we'll just sit and we'll do some co-writing? You know, I'd love to maybe work with you guys. And so we are like, oh, cool. And we were really guarded about it at first because we were like, ah, oh, you know, it sounds weird bringing somebody else in on our music. But right. the more we did it and the more we met these people that were pros, uh, 
it just it made a lot more sense. Like it was about gaining a percentage and thinking about something differently rather than losing a percentage. So right. So that that first record, or I guess it was technically our second record we we did with that guy Jeff Dalziel, who's still my producer today, actually in the country stuff. Oh, nice. And um, and it really opened our eyes to a lot of things. And it was the most probably like it was a well definitely my biggest breakout release i think we've i've ever had in my career like found i suppose was was bigger but this was you know we were all of a sudden on a national stage and we were um you know touring with some of the biggest bands in the world and and people you know we were getting lots of radio play we had top 40s on two formats and it was just it really started to make sense to me and in country music that's what that's what it always is it's always co-writing with two or three people um and it's it's uh yeah, I don't know. It's it's strange because it's it's less guarded in some ways creatively, but it's it's uh, everybody's got their squad. So w- once you start to find people that you click with, it, people generally tend to write with those folks quite a lot. Oh, okay. Now with Tapello Honey, um, it was Grant McEwen that you met at, met at, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was playing in little punk rock bands and stuff in around St. Albert, Alberta, for a long time, and and so I'd I'd known who our, my our guitar player Tyler Danaki was because he was like, you know, well known as the freakishly insane guitar player from our town, and so I was clearly I was terrified of him, and uh, but it, we uh, so we met, and then I went to Grant McEwen for music, and I just happened to start the same year that Tyler did as well, and so we kind of bonded over not loving jazz at all and it was a jazz school <laughs> oh nice <laughs> so yeah uh we were like the delinquents in, in music school but we uh, we got through it together and and you know we realized we wanted to start a rock band and and uh steve our bass player was the year ahead of me at grant McEwen, and greg one of his best friends was uh, a drummer that had just uh re- finished his his drum thing at grant McEwen. so we all kind of had this tie uh and we uh we kind of formed because this this folk girl needed a band and and it, we were terrible so we just did this kind of hired gig and it, it was great we had a lot of fun and we realized you know okay this is a this is the bunch of dudes that we have to make music with so we yeah we started writing and we we found a singer this is before i knew that i was going to sing <laughs> you know i i uh I fell into that a little, little later on in, in the in the progression of the band, but yeah, it was it was really cool, and it's nice to have that music school background because for me, I was never sort of like, um, I guess like a scholastic musician. Like I'd never studied theory or harmony or really gave much thought to it. I was always kind of emotionally driven. But trying to keep up with these guys, like these are like the best players I think I've I've ever played with, and still like I compare it to a lot of people that we tour with. These are probably some of the best musicians in Canada. So for me, it was like the best schooling possible to have to keep up with these guys all the time. And uh, so yeah, that was that was a big part of my development. And so your upbringing, like you were going into college thinking I want to do something in music. That was your goal for a career. So growing up, when did that sort of start that dream of, of going into the arts, going into music? Well, to tell you the truth, honestly, after I graduated grade 12, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I love playing, love playing in bands. I love playing guitar. I love music, but I didn't really even consider it as a career to be honest I just I like I randomly threw a dart at music school with an application and because in Edmonton we're lucky enough to have one of the the best music schools in Canada the Grant McEwen music program and um and my my one of my best friend's dad was the bass professor there and I was like well he's cool and you know I like I like what he does and 
don't know, maybe my guitar teacher at school was a McEwen grad. So I just kind of randomly applied. Then I went on summer vacation and, and I, I don't know what happened, but I got a late message saying like, Hey, you've been accepted. And I was like, Oh my God, I have to go to university now. <laughs> uh Oh yeah. And I'm, I'm like, I'm born in November. So I'm one of the, uh, one of the younger sort of people in, in the program. I was 17 when I went. And so it's, it was like a weird introduction to university and I'm standing outside the beer gardens, watching all my friends going, Hey guys, <laughs> the beer tastes good. But, um, yeah. You know that I honestly, I didn't really consider it. And then I went to McEwen and I realized what I loved and what I didn't love about music. I really loved the recording classes, the composition classes, the ear training classes. And, and it was a, it was like a real, um, wake up call for me this, to figure out how I needed to focus as a grown up to be a musician because I knew where I was at and I knew like I could play and it sounded great but I didn't understand what was going on I, I could seeing people that would play and be able to you know clearly understand the the uh, interplay between harmony and and melody it's uh, it's it's kind of next level so that was scary for me honestly but I learned that I loved playing music with people and feeding off people. I learned that I didn't love uh, music that wasn't natural to me. And, and natural music to me is just things that, you know, make you feel something, give you the goosebumps. And, and that was always rock and pop in the beginning for me. Um, yeah, so it was, it was an interesting experience. Like there's a lot of schools, music schools that focus on more contemporary music. And, and that's probably somewhere that I would have, uh, felt a little bit more comfortable, but you know, I look back at my my time at Grant McEwen and sort of appreciate that level of uncomfortableness that I was living with daily, just <laughs> the, the fear of being called upon to say something in class. Yeah, and then so coming out of that, joining the guys, forming a band, and then like you say, all of a sudden you're up on stage, you're playing a festival, you're you're playing to big crowds. Like, what kind of was that a shock? Almost that, you know, you go from not really thinking about music as a career to going to university for it. And then all of a sudden you're in this band who's all of a sudden doing well. It was uh, it was a little weird, but it was it was really validating because we, you know, we wrote the first EP in our, my guitar player's basement. And uh, it was the style of music that I hadn't tackled before. I hadn't tried mainstream music. I was always about fringy stuff like punk rock or metal or anything that was that felt like you had, you know, it was cool if you knew about it before anyone else did. That right. was kind of what I was into <laughs> at the time. So it was really interesting that we had a plan and we came together with these, with these other three guys. And I was like, okay, so we're going to, we're targeting radio. We're going to make radio rock songs. And so, you know, it's really amazing when we released our first song and it was number one in Edmonton. And, uh, you know, before long, we were having, a thousand people come out to watch us in Edmonton, which is insane for, yeah, a, for a, a local, local show. Band. Yeah. So that was, it was really cool. And it, it did happen in a hurry and there's so much to learn. Like it's, it's kind of insane. Like I call it my, my rock one Oh one. It was my university. It was my university education in the music industry, you know, cause we, like we were coming up at a time where uh, the industry was absolutely diabolically crashing. Like it was, everybody was getting fired all the time. I remember there was a time, where we had Atlantic New York flying out to see us in Edmonton. Like they didn't even know if there was an Edmonton, I think. And, and uh, the day they were supposed to leave, you know, it was the show day and we got off stage and I asked our manager at the time, it was just basically a buddy. And I was like, what did they think? What did they think? And he's, you know, well, everybody got fired today. So oh. Back to the drawing board. And that, I mean, that only happened 
that happened a few times. And so that was what really spurred me to start thinking as an independent artist. And, and so I had to learn tour managing and songwriting and production and, you know, all the little things that we have to do to, to get through fundraising, grant writing, you know, all the, all the, all the stuff, even graphic design and video editing, I had to, had to deal with a lot. Right. So, so university kind of taught you the theory behind music. And then you almost had another like three or four years of business training after yeah, that, honestly. right. That wasn't in university, but it was almost, uh, almost the same. It really, it really did feel like that. It was, uh, it was pretty wild, man. I, I, it's an experience that I'm so glad I had because it set me up perfectly for my country career. Like it was, it was, uh, it was a godsend. As hard right. as it was, some days it, it really, it really did help. And now, talk about sort of what was it the 2010 uh, area where you sort of the band was going through um, some changes and your lead singer left, and then was it sort of. I either jump in front of the mic or we dissolve the band or what was the thinking at that point? Yeah. Well, you know, it was a, it was a good time to do it. I mean, as, looking back on it, it was a, it was one of the hardest moments in our music career when uh, we knew that we weren't going to be able to move forward with, with Matt, our, our singer at the time. And we'd done uh, three records with Matt. Yeah. We did three records with Matt and, um, you know, when we were out on the road, it was fantastic. We were, everyone was brothers and it was great, but there was, we were just hitting, we were really hitting a wall and, you know, the interest level from him was, was not there. And uh, so we decided to kind of move forward without him. And, and that was the time where, man, I can't even tell you the three of us just felt lost. Like we, or the four of us, we didn't know exactly how we were going to pull this off. If we should start a brand new band, if we should, you know, continue and, and find a new singer and, Luckily, we we had our producer Jeff Dalziel, who was always very supportive of us, and and uh, a guy that really believed in the project. And he was like, you know what, let's let's continue on because we had a record of songs that were ready to record, and we were ready to go. And and so you know, after tossing around who we could try out, we had a bunch of friends that were singers that we wanted to try, and we tried. Um, I don't know if you remember this guy, but he was a really good friend of the band and he was an American Idol or Canadian Idol second place runner up. His name Rex Gowdy. Right. Yeah. A newfie. And uh, I loved Rex, but he was just, he lived too far away. It just wouldn't have made any sense. So yeah, I mean, there was, there was a day that I remember getting a call from Josh Ramsey from Marianne's Trench, who has been a longtime friend of the band too. We basically started out at the same time touring together and, and like, what an awesome guy. He, he called me and said, you know, dude, I think you should sing in the band. Like nice. after touring with them for so long, he's like, there's only a few guys that can, that can hit some of those high notes. And it's, you know, like me and you and Todd Kearns and a couple guys. So I think, I think you should do it. And I was, you know, I was kind of like, you know what, that's a pretty solid vote of confidence. So yeah, for sure. I called up my producer, Jeff, and I was like, I'm going to come out to Toronto and I want to sing these songs. Don't tell the guys, we'll just send it to them and see what they think. So nice. So that's what I did. And, and, uh, all the guys were pretty pumped and it was like, I'm a very different singer than Matt. And I knew that it was going to be one of those things that we lost some fans and we gained some fans. And, and so we put out this record. It was a double record, uh, half acoustic and half electric. And it was, I knew it was, 
it was going to be a tough record for us. And, and it was, it was like a bit of a pivot in our sound and, and our personality. And, uh, for our fans, it was a little new too, but you know, we got through it and that record thing I was most proud about in 2010 and 11 was that we were able to stick together and, and, and sort of get through it. Cause that was, it's not an easy thing to do. You know, there's not a lot of bands that can change singers and, and not die immediately. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Three days grace. And I don't know, there's, you, I don't know if you can list off many. Like, there's some, of yeah. course, some classic rock bands like that Van are, Halen and yeah, stuff. But, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, not many uh, local Canadian bands. But um, so for you, jumping in front of the mic, what was that like, just like mentally for you, and sort of switching gears into frontman mentality? Well, you know, I always kind of i think was more naturally a front man like matt was great but he was he was a different kind of a singer like he was very like aloof mysterious not saying very much kind of guy and and i like i like to be right in the audience's face and be loud and talking and i'd always kind of like jump in on the mic when when matt didn't have something to say when we were playing shows and so it felt really natural to do the entertainer part of it as i love that stuff like that's my favorite thing about music is just being able to talk to people and connect with people i love that but the uh, the singing part was really tough because as a backup singer, I was always doing short bursts, right? And it was for me in Tupelo, it was always at the top of my range, high volume sort of stuff. And then so when we got to this record and I was writing the vocals for it, I think I was in that mentality and I like I hardly left any places to breathe. And it was right at the top of my range, especially our last record. So it was very, very hard to sing. Like I it was a real crash course in not losing your voice every night. So that was really really challenging um but it was it was definitely something that was a great thing to go through i mean it, it taught me a lot about how i need to take care of myself and where i sound best and how how to work on my breaks between my chest voice and my head voice and what that even means i'd never thought about these things before so it was it was kind of a yeah it was it was a lot to think about so all the way along the way like it, it feels like in every segment of your career, you, you've had this training in some different area of music, right? Like I say, university, and then starting with the band and just learning the business behind it. And then your next stage is learning to be a lead singer and you're just kind of progressing as you go. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's essentially it. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to not look back now and be like, ah, oh, I wish if I'd have known then what I know now, I, I say that to myself too often, but it's, I think the, the part of this business and a part of, you know, having a, a fulfilling career in music is, is the journey and realizing how you learn things along the way and, and the feeling you get when you experience something for the first time. Right. And so when did country start to creep in? Well, the band, like we'd released, I think Tupelo's best record in 2014 or 15 and it was uh, called Brave New World. And it was, I think it was very progressive. Like it was, um, I guess, similar to like 30 Seconds to Mars. For me, it felt very like mountaintop rock. Like it was arena, arena stuff. But at, at the time, Active Rock Radio, where we'd previously lived our entire careers, it started to become like Five Finger Death Punch. And strangely enough, things like the Lumineers. So it was completely confused and we just didn't have a home. And and honestly, rock was just in a really tough place. Like, you know, there was venues shutting down and not really a whole lot of bands to tour with. 
um, in Canada anyway. And, and so that was, it was really challenging. And we decided, you know, after pushing that record for a while and being really proud of the music that we put out that we wanted to try some different things. So, you know, when I started singing, we got this guy named Brad Simons, who was basically Dan 2.0 in the band, better guitar player than me. I mean, he's just, he's, uh, he's amazing. So Brad went on to start, uh, probably one of the most successful studios in Edmonton. It's called Velveteen Audio. And he's, he's, uh, producing and working on lots of great young artists, especially pop stuff. Um, and Tyler started getting into painting a lot, actually. And he's, he's an unbelievable painter. Like it's, um, he's selling art and doing art classes and just exploring a different side of his creativity. And it's honestly, it's shocking. If you ever go look at his stuff, Tyler Dinocchi, uh, and Greg was playing in a lot of different bands as a drummer. He started playing for a Conaline crush and just a, a ton of different bands. And Steve, our bass player went to law school. So he's a lawyer oh, now. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah. And uh, for me, I, I went back to school and I got my business degree. And it's it's so crazy how easy it felt after having to do that basically as a job for the for the previous eight years. Right. So it was uh, so I got that and then I finished and I had a bit of a moment where, you know, what am I going to do with my life? I'm like, oh, yeah, music. So <laughs> went right back to it. And I started thinking about a solo project as I was uh I had developed a little bit of a record label and, and a production company and, and we were producing um, some top 40 songs for some pop artists and stuff. Um, and that was really cool too. It really, I was able through that to sign a publishing deal and get a lot more songwriting sessions going and sort of develop my, my reputation as a songwriter and a producer. And so that was helpful, but I was missing the the performing and I was missing doing something out there that was me and, you know, country was blowing up and I was seeing a lot of my friends, that were in rock succeeding in country, um, especially, you know, namely Dallas Smith, who is our biggest country star. And, uh, you know, I went out to see him open for Florida Georgia line at Rexall place here in Edmonton or Rogers or one of the two. And, um, it was amazing. Like, it's just a rock show. It's both, both of those shows were just a rock show. And it was like everything that I knew. And, uh, I was, I started realizing that there's like all for all the years that we were writing, I think I'd suppressed, the twang a little bit and like when you're from alberta it's just in you somewhere well, exactly so I, yeah so i decided i just unlocked that door and and after i hung out with dallas that night he was like man you should give this a shot it's a great scene and it's not any different from anything that we've been doing for years and you got a great name for the country dan davidson sounds like a pair of jeans or something <laughs> yeah but uh so yeah i was like you know what that's just one of those another moment of uh, a vote of confidence that pushed me over the edge uh, the first one with josh and this one with dallas and um, so I called up Jeff, my producer, and I said, hey, do you want to make some some country stuff and we can just see what we can do? And I put out a song. And luckily enough, through all my years of playing, I've, I've been really good friends with a lot of the promoters that have booked me and, and they they slapped me on a show. It was the same kind of thing, actually. It was like, hey, you have to play an hour, figure it out. So <laughs> started writing like crazy and, and getting a, a ragtag band together. And, and uh, you know, when my second song came out, Found, it exploded like it was the the top selling canadian country song it was the top selling independent song in canada and now it's it's on its way to platinum right now and and, and it's that song started basically started my career and i've spent you know so many years just keeping up to the momentum of that like i've had a lot of successful singles but that one is just the engine that keeps running so it's uh it's been really great and and luckily i've i've been able to pull tyler and greg from tupelo honey to play with me in the yeah. band for these last five years together. And it's uh man, it's just, it honestly just feels like 
somebody breathed new life into Tupelo honey or something. It's really Yeah, I was cool. going to say, it's like Tupelo honey 2.0, basically, right? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it is, you know, and lightning doesn't really strike twice in the music industry. So I've been very, very fortunate to be able to have a second shot. Yeah. And going into the country from the rock background, you know, you really went the country route. Like you say, the twang, you had that inner twang in you. And, you know, it's, it's really country music. It's, it's not like necessarily like some of the rock country is out there, you know, it's pretty straightforward country music. So how did you kind of come up with that sound? Like, how does that work moving over from the rock to the country and figuring out what your sound is going to be? Honestly, I had no idea. Cause like I knew what I didn't like Brett Kissel is a good friend of mine and he is a country like purist. Like he grew up only listening to country music. He knows every country music song ever written. You can name some something obscure and he, he knows how to play it. So it's uh that's not me. Like I grew up not with that, but I did have a lot of influence from my dad's country music and my grandpa's country music, which you know, for my dad it was more uh like the Willie Nelson, Johnny Cash kind of thing. But he also loved sort of crossover bands like Blue Rodeo and Lyle Lovett. And so that was that was in there. Right. And uh, I, I think I gravitate to a lot of things like John Denver and stuff that's like just feels good. And sometimes I don't know why. So I, when I wrote Found, I, I asked my producer, Jeff, and I was like, what kind of song do you think is missing out there? And he's like, well, it'd be cool to have something that's kind of like Honey, I'm Good meets Thank God I'm a Country Boy. And I was like, okay. I can do that. And so I just kind of, I didn't even have a guitar in my hand. I was stomping around in my kitchen and came up with the chorus for found. And um, I needed somebody to finish it with. And I didn't really know too many country writers in Edmonton, because frankly, there's not very many. And uh, I called up Clayton Bellamy, who, you know, I'd played shows with Clayton before when Roadhammers would sometimes play a rock show, or we'd sometimes play like a lacrosse game halftime with bands like that and and uh, he didn't really know me all that well but we'd met so i called him and, and went over to his house and we just like put on a pot of snobby french press coffee and sat down and we banged out two songs that day and it was it took like two hours and um it was amazing and it, i sent it to jeff and he's like yeah this is perfect let's record this and, <laughs> and we put it out and it just went from there but you know Clay is a guy that I've been able to really develop a, a great creative relationship with over the last few years. Like we were working on stuff three or four days a week together, probably. Oh, okay. And so how does it feel to come into the country and be able to write your own stuff? Cause I was talking to Dallas one time and he was talking about that transition from rock to country and the fact that rock, you know, they'd be sitting in their garage, having beers, writing the music as a band. Whereas in the countryside, it's, it's more of a business. You're sitting in a room for eight hours a day, you know, hashing out these songs, but you kind of landed somewhere in between in being able to write your own songs the way you want to, and not, you know, having someone else write them for you. So how have you been able to kind of navigate that? Well, it's, I mean, in country, it's a lot more common for people to take outside songs. And, you know, I, I know that's kind of more the type of thing that, that Dallas does. And that's, fine i mean it just if somebody writes a song that's perfect for you and you can go out and make it huge and make some money and make some fans then that's great so i'm not opposed to taking outside cuts at all um uh, i just really haven't had the desire to do it yet like i've i've (laughs) i tried to cut one outside song and it was a disaster oh really (laughs) (laughs) i'll tell you the story so uh i got sent this song and i thought it was like oh this is great this sounds like something i would do and you know it's 
let's try it. I've never tried an outside song, so let's go for it. And um, so we cut the song and we got clearance from the publisher, but there was some miscommunication in emails or something like that. And one of the writers of the song decided that he wanted the song for an artist he was developing. And so after I'd spent all this money on the song, it got pulled from me and put up by this guy. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I can just let it go. He's an American. I'll put it out in Canada. But then this they to pump up this song a little bit, they got Megan Patrick to come sing on the song. So then it got pushed out oh. to Canada. So now it's been released twice, and I'm just <laughs> sitting on this version of it that I'll maybe I'll release one day. I don't know. Oh man. But, uh, so it's so just yeah, a lot the, easier to write your own stuff then. Yeah, I mean, I like I I'm a songwriter, so I like I like the challenge and you know, it's uh I don't know. I find I find it creatively fulfilling and you know, it's it's something I want to do. And my brand has never been as uh down the middle as as a lot of country artists like it's i do a lot of weird (laughs) videos and i just i just try and uh, like do things that people aren't doing because i think you know when i look back at my efforts in music i want to make sure that i'm showing some personality and and something i can really you know be like well that was me and and i i put it out there for the world and you're independent right now and is there a worry that maybe if you sign to a label if you get picked up that that'll change like are you are you trying to stay more independent so that you don't have to sort of switch over and and do things someone else's way uh you know i'm not too scared of labels like i i would be definitely interested in working with a label if somebody came along and it was a a relationship that made sense for everyone but honestly as an indie the thing that's so great is owning my own masters so when a song goes out and it does get picked up by radio or sirius xm or you know it blows up streaming then that's how that's a great that's like honestly that's one of the biggest parts of my income is is getting those royalties um right so i like that <laughs> i want to keep that going and so scooter but, braun doesn't come out and just steal your whole library right? yeah but i mean there's all kinds of deals right so everyone has a as a different sort of a thing going on what i would love to have is the industry muscle like for me i know that there's this very small chance that i'll ever win a ccma because i don't have the 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 political muscle behind me right and that that's fine i don't you know i don't really care I, of course i would love to have a ccma and i would love to have a juno but that it does take a lot of politics to to get those things pushed through so maybe i'll fluke one fluke out one day but you know you know it's in the meantime i'm just my focus is putting out great stuff and trying to make fans yeah and you're writing stuff for other people so is there a difference in the feeling you get when you hear your stuff on the radio and when you hear someone else's stuff that you wrote on the radio? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's always funny hearing a different voice, you know, singing, singing the ideas that I've come up with. Right. And, yeah. I and, guess uh, they were in your head. So they kind of have your voice to them. Right. Yeah. And you know, sometimes I can hear I'll, like, like, Oh, that's very Dan on that moment. But, right. <laughs> but honestly, it's, this has been a really great year for me for that kind of stuff. You know, right, right now I've got a song in the top 20 on, on rock, other rock charts with a band called weapons from Saskatoon. Oh, okay. Um, and so that's, that's been a real, real cool thing. And there's, there's a few other projects that are going to be released right away. Lots of country stuff and, and yeah, so I, I love it. You know, I, it's just, um, it's validating. I think that's the biggest thing. Like it doesn't, doesn't really feel weird or like I don't stop and stare and, and have a moment, <laughs> but, but it's like, oh, okay, cool. I'm doing, I'm doing it right. Something's working. And yeah. That, that's what, you know, mostly drives us forward and makes us have the good days in the music industry. And does that help having 
that side of things and, you know, having that income and having that other side of the business. So you're not as focused on, you know, your music and the money it's making and having, you know, the stress of, of that, or do you still have stress over that? I think I still have stress. Like if, if I'm the producer on it, then there's deadlines and, and, you know, a quality standard that I want to get to. But if I'm just a songwriter, it's great. Like write it and somebody else makes it worries about how it sounds and somebody else worries about how it gets promoted. But uh, yeah, I mean, it is, uh, it's stressful. The biggest thing is to find for me right now is finding the balance of, of how much time I spend working on productions and songwriting for other people while still making sure that I'm steering my own ship and, keeping the momentum very strong so that's you know that's a balance that i it's new to me this year in COVID. i've I've really picked up a lot more gigs that are not focused on my career and uh i mean it's it's great to be busy so i can't complain there and has it been a difficult year or like you say has it been sort of okay because you've been able to find these other branches to keep you busy and evolve as an artist yeah, it, I mean, it's been difficult on on the mental sense because, uh, you know, typically in the summertime, for example, I'm gone every weekend and I'm making a performance income and and I get to see so many people, like which I said earlier was one of my favorite parts of this thing. Yeah. So it's it's been a little weird, but, you know, on the plus side, getting to spend lots of those summer days with my daughters and, uh, you know, getting that in there. So it's it's. It's a bit of a give and take, you know, financially, it's not been too bad. I was lucky enough to have good royalty checks come in at the right time and, and keep these production gigs rolling. So I'm not in a terrible place there, but uh, yeah, you know, mentally I'm, I'm ready to play some shows and see some people and shake some hands and, you know, do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Hopefully to be soon. And you're keeping yourself busy on the video production side. I see your Christmas video, just gold, gold. <laughs> just amazing uh, yeah well that's you know that's part of my thing is i just everyone's putting out these sentimental like sitting next to the tree playing a christmas song i'm like ah there's no there's got to be something else so yeah we came up being and my partner and all this branding stuff is uh this guy named travis nesbitt who was the singer of social code back in the day another oh, okay. edmonton band yeah and and our friend russ dawson who's uh another edmonton musician we kind of a little creative trio and so we do all my stuff together. And and I remember years ago, they were doing these stupid movie trailers. And I was like, let's do a movie trailer for Die Hard because it's a Christmas movie. And uh, yeah, it turned out great. But like I've, we've been doing uh, with those guys, I've been putting out a, usually something every month. And so it'll yeah. be like month on, it'll be my video. The next month, something viral, like my DD and the Butter Lovers bluegrass stuff or uh you know whatever it is and and it's been kind of cool like that's a big focus for my my covid life has been non-stop content that's kind of the, the motto yeah well it's kind of funny because i'm going through your youtube page and i'm like like the first video i it might have been found but i'm like oh we got to talk about that one and then the next one oh we got to talk about that one and i'm looking at every <laughs> video thinking oh we got to talk about this one because it's just so funny uh, yeah it's there. just great and tokyo um What's the story behind that? Were you already planning to go there or was that like sincerely just for that video? Yeah, it was a hundred percent just for that. So we, uh, like I just got my first video grant and it wasn't much money, but, uh, you know, so I was talking to Travis, the director and we didn't really have much of a plan and it was November. So it looked gross outside in Edmonton. You can't do much. Right. And, uh, so he's like, well, so we, let's just go bring your wife. I'll bring my girlfriend. We'll go to Hawaii and just shoot a beach video. And I'm like, Oh, okay. That sounds cool. So I was just telling my wife 
about, yeah, maybe we can go to Hawaii and we'll shoot this video there and you guys can come and we'll just do this whole thing. And, and she was getting excited about it. And then my phone rings again and it was Travis. And he goes, tell Jen, she's not coming. We're going to Tokyo. Click. <laughs> <laughs> so we had a bit of a powwow and we came up with this idea to just dress me up like a combination of like Elton John and John Wayne and plot me in the middle of Tokyo and just yep. watch how weird people thought I was. <laughs> And so how much footage do you, did you have? Because I mean, it's a three and a half minute video or whatever it is. So how much footage did you actually have of that process? We, it just, the cameras were nonstop rolling. Cause we never <laughs> knew what was going to happen. Like we literally, we would just go out and be like, okay, we should probably get like a sushi shot. We should probably get a Tokyo Disney shot. We should probably get like, we just had a couple of things on the checklist, but there was right. so much cool stuff everywhere we went that yeah. it was uh and people were either horribly embarrassed for me or super excited that there was a cowboy there. <laughs> so uh, That's hilarious. that was honestly one of the my favorite trips of my life. Like it was so fun. And we were only gone for five days or something. Was we it? Went to Tokyo yeah, I was wondering five, how long days. you were there. <laughs> the was travel quick. there and back was probably almost more than the actual days you were there. Hey? Yeah, it was probably almost <laughs> half, but it was uh it was a whirlwind and and I loved it. It was so great. Oh man. So what's, what's next? Like, are you looking in working on the next album here in COVID quarantine or what's been your focus? Yeah, I've got a huge pile of songs. So now it's just figuring out what's coming out next. So I'll probably put out this track called blind spot coming out next month. And then uh, past that, I'm working on a, a song called roll with it that I'm really excited about blind spots, a little more pop, leaning and and roll with it's way more country leaning so yeah i'm gonna i'm working on a big feature for roll with it too there's gonna be some familiar faces on that track and and uh, yeah so we're just you know shooting videos and and recording and, and just keeping keep making sure the hands aren't idle and this day and age and especially with covid it feels like the album has sort of taken a back seat. Like a lot of uh, artists are basically just, you know, doing one-off songs and shipping them off to, to the streaming services and doing videos and, um, you know, just trying to get their music out there because they have the time. So do you think that this little period, this one, two year period is going to change things in that way at all? Yeah, I think just in general, in this day and age, like albums don't make sense at all. The only reason I'll ever do an album is just so I can qualify for a grant or an award. That's right. that's really it. Like, it's just like, what's the what's the date I need to have this in by to get an award? April 2nd? Okay, album's coming out April 1st, because I don't care. Right. And uh, yeah, I mean, like, because you, it's it just, you end up putting out songs that no one's going to hear because no, no muscle goes behind them. And it's nice to like, I'll have them for shows. Cause it's a great thing. It's a great keepsake for people. And right. Yeah. But uh, for me, I'd rather just keep pumping out singles. It allows me to, to, to move faster and stay current and, and, you know, work on songs that I'm excited about right away. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's a, it's a cool thing. Like I'd love, usually I'll get a couple singles down the road and find one that's like, uh, maybe this isn't like a hit song, but it's a cool song. And they'll throw that on the record and put out the record. So right. that's and how pretty ma- much my take on it. How many songs are, do you typically, typically go through? Like how much are you writing? What do you have to choose from in your library? Is there like a whole huge library that you have going on? Yeah, I think in the, in the pool, I've probably got about a hundred songs or so oh, right really? now. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot to go through. <laughs> when you're just picking one but, wow, uh, yeah. <laughs> but they're not all good ones trust me yeah <laughs> 
Sometimes you got to get all that crap out before it, you hit the gold nugget. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to, to sit down with us and tell some stories. And uh, yeah, it's great catching up because yeah, I can't, I'm pretty sure it was 06, 07 in Kelowna. There was a, a couple of shows I remember catching up with you guys. It was before Matt had left the band. I know that. I know I never got to see you as a front man up there. Um, yeah, those those are the those are great years. I really really enjoyed those times. And we got to play in Kelowna quite often back then, and that was, yeah. it was tons of fun. A great yeah. place to hang out. And I had the I had the fortune of seeing you. Uh, it was already like three four years ago now. Uh, you came through town with Brett Brett Kissel mm. opening right. for him at the theater here. So yeah, I, unfortunately, I'd already left my gig at Shaw, so uh, it wasn't in a position to get an interview with you that time so ah, curses. next time <laughs> yeah so this makes up for it so perfect <laughs> yeah so th yeah thanks so much for taking the time and uh yeah we'll we'll talk to you again when uh when all this clears up and people are back on the road and maybe fingers crossed maybe you'll make a, a stop through Kelowna and we can do this face to face that'd be amazing i'm in <laughs> just let me know when <laughs> awesome well thank you so much and right. uh yeah we'll talk to you again soon thanks brennan okay see ya see you buddy Thank you guys so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Be sure to follow, like, share us on all your favorite streaming services. We're out there on all of them and we really appreciate the support. Thank you for sticking around for episode two. And we hope that you will come back each and every week as we sit down with some of your favorite musicians, some musicians you maybe never heard of, but will become your favorites. Just talk about their journey and how music made them. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you next time.